Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I'm Tim. And I'm Chris. And this is the Deconstruction Series. Welcome to the Always More Podcast. We're here. We're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> uh, this is the Always More Podcast, where we believe there's always more room at the table for honest questions, meaningful conversations, and deeper understanding. And today, we are taking our mantra to allow more honest questions and deeper understanding to a more immersed level, I would say, Chris. A little, little bit deeper than usual, I think. A little bit deeper than if usual. If by a little bit, you mean strapping <laughs> on a scuba tank and taking a dive. <laughs> Today, we are starting our first series on a subject that has been at our hearts and our minds for quite some time, deconstruction. Yeah. I know I say this a lot, but I'm here for it. <laughs> That's my the, my phrase, I think. Yeah. Uh, yours is long story short. My, long story mine short. Is, I'm here for it. <laughs> T- guys, today, fair warning, today there would not be a long story short. It's going to be a long story longer. You guys should really see these notes that Tim put in. <laughs> like, it's insane. Um, should we just dive in? Because I feel go. like let's go. I, I don't. There, there's no way to ease into there, this. There isn't. <laughs> like we kind of eased into it because it's taken us ten years to get to this point, right? But also at the same time, like we didn't ease into it either. We were just kind of like pushed, I guess. Yeah, it's like a mosh pit. Like, oh yeah, that <laughs> could be fun if I jumped. Oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> that's that's what's going on right now with our lives. All um, right. Um. I know before we get started, you wanted to set down some ground rules. Yeah. We kind of set for ourselves for the podcast uh, some things to consider for our listeners, our watchers. You guys on YouTube? I'm yeah. waving. I can't <laughs> see it. Um, some things to consider as we go forward through the series. So we want to we put in this common phrase, I guess, that I think everybody could agree on. And we just want this to be the mantra for this series. Yeah. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Because it's not. This is going to be a really deep diving series, and everybody takes different things out of it at different times. Nobody right. comes to the same exact conclusions. It's not that simple. There's a lot of topics that, growing up a lot, you and I, I know you for sure, thought were very black and white that right. just are not that case. Yeah. Like, there is black and white, but... 99% of people find themselves somewhere in the middle in the gray area. Mm-hmm. 
And the reality of the situation is it's not that simple. Yeah. And it's really just to keep in mind, too, in the back of your – if you're listening to this and you, you – I mean, actually, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Um, it, 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 okay, so I wrote it down like this, is if I were a Christian, if I were to argue with a Christian and say, Paul said in one of his letters that slaves should obey their masters, therefore God is okay with slavery, I would imagine that if you're a Christian, you would say something along the lines of, no, wait a second, there's more to it than that. Like that's 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 the common. I would hope so. In a way. I would hope so. Uh, and then the same way, if you know, I was talking to a person on the left, and and I said you believe in gun gun control, therefore you just want to take away everyone's guns. Obviously, that is not most of their logic. That is like, wait a second, there, there's more to it than that. There's more complicated than that. Yeah. And we just want to address that. Like, look, we're going to say a lot of things <laughs> in this in this series, and we're not going to be able to flesh out every single thought we have. And so, whenever you kind of go, oh man that's wrong or that's horrible or whatever it is. Just, it's not that simple. Now, I, now with me, uh, I like to take notes. And so I do like to take rabbit trails. So I'll try my best to do it. But even then we, there's just no way there's just no way. So yeah. Um, um, next one, you guys, you guys got to remember like this series, like I said, a second ago is we're going to pack like 10 years of experience <laughs> into at most like 10 hours. Right. So, and not all at once. This is not going to be one no, no, 10 no. hour podcast. So don't click off just yet. Um, we're just condensing our entire experience into this small amount of time. And there's always more room for conversation. Yep. So, yeah. Talk to us about it if you have more questions. We would love to hear your questions, love to hear where you guys are at. Um, but this is a topic that means a lot to us. And based on our viewing metrics, I guess, the little. The statistics that <laughs> Tiny we get statistics, from, uh, yeah. from uh, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify yeah. and all the all the different stuff. Anchor provides those for you, by the way. Yeah, shout out. Um, yeah, so all of our metrics prove that this is probably something you guys want to listen to too. If not, we'll see that later on with our <laughs> metrics. Um, you might hear us debate a lot of the issues that we bring up. Even Tim and I aren't a hundred percent on the same page on a lot of this stuff because yeah. again, everybody has their own path they walk when it comes to deconstruction uh so nobody's one story is the same and you might hear us debating but you know it is what it is um google deconstructing christian you're, you're not going to find one set belief no, no any way. link you click is going to have a different thing so it'll, it'll be fun to see where we're at yeah yeah, and we're going to in this episode uh, again we're we're reiterating that we're not going to be able to say everything we want to say um, I definitely tried, but um, but based on the notes, he tried <laughs> for sure. Um, but we're going to provide in our show notes um, a, a extensive list of people to follow, things to listen to, things to read. A, a lot of um, basically, you're not going to understand everything that we're going to have to say without kind of experiencing some of the things that we've experienced. Obviously, you can't live in our lives, but you can read some of the things we've read. You can listen to some of the things we listen to and the people that we follow. And so um, let me say this before we kind of really get rolling here. For those of you who are genuinely curious, for those of you who are skeptical but want to hear us out, Thank you. Uh, and for those of you who are authentically seeking to understand, and for those of you who are already rolling your eyes, I ask that you be patient to listen, to hear. And if you're curious, investigate. Look at our sources. Ask questions. Feel free to disagree, but also feel free to feel welcome. Um, we often judge each other by bullet point stances, whether it's LGBT, 
women's rights, conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat. But I've come to realize it's so much deeper than that. There's so much more than this. Let's begin. Let's do it. I'd like to start off today with a quote from one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite people, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to say the quote first, just, just in case you decide to blow it off. People are afraid of what they don't understand. Which is just a universal truth. It is. But a lot of people don't realize that. Like, and, and, and By the word afraid here, it doesn't mean that you're like, oh my God, I have to stay away. Or, oh my God, I, you know, I, like I'm shivering or whatever. Like, no, you're afraid by going, moving away from it. You don't yeah. want to listen. You don't want to investigate. Being afraid can take on a lot of different aspects. Like, a lot of times people destroy what they're afraid of. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're running at something to destroy it, you may not seem to the outside viewer like you're afraid, but you're destroying it because you're afraid. Yeah, yeah. Or you might be ignoring it because you're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Or you, you might look the other way because you're afraid of what you might discover. And so, um, um, by the way, that was from Jonathan Kent from The Man of Steel. Um, yes, yeah, it's like great. I said, one of my favorite people. <laughs> it's so great. Um, the word deconstruction has only recently popped up in Christian circles, and, or at least popularly, and many of the responses I've seen from pastors and churches are usually rooted in fear. Questions like, who are these people? Are they stealing people from my congregation? And how can we use this movement to our advantage? And those are the commons, common evangelical responses. I'm sure even outside of evangelical oh, churches. Yeah. 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 And when you ask to know someone, whether they're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, you're generally trying to get to know someone based on their set beliefs. The problem is those that are deconstructing don't usually have that. Now, it's not that simple, of course. Granted, even the Christian faith with its thousands of denominations are far from being labeled as unifying. Deconstructing Christians don't collectively believe in one unifying thing. We all have different we, we all have different gauges. We're all in different it's like the it's like the Marvel uh, multiverse now where people are deconstructing or on a path that spans out in hundreds of different directions. Yeah. And so it, it's it's not easy and it's not a like if you were to like Chris said earlier if you if you were to google it you wouldn't find just one answer. It, it's so complex. And so Chris let's define deconstruction. Yeah. So Um, Let's actually start with the Deconstruction Network's definition of the word deconstruction. Uh, Deconstruction Network, for those that don't know, is a global database of people who are deconstructing. Um, They do like surveys and analysis data, all that kind of stuff from the new emerging demographic of deconstructionists, which is also a great resource to learn more about deconstruction and find people who are going through similar journeys. Highly recommend. Uh, So definitely check that out. You can find it on Google. You can Google anything, really. You really can. Uh, And in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, so their definition was that deconstruction is the process of questioning one's core foundational beliefs and finding that since they don't hold to be true, they need to be removed. Uh, what is a foundational truth for one person might be an insignificant point for another. Because of this, one person's harrowing complex deconstruction of their faith might be another person's bump in the road. So if you've ever seen people like panicking over like, oh, well, we can't drink in church. And then other people are just like, I mean, it's fine. (laughs) For some people, that's something they have to deconstruct. For others, that's just something they have to make a quick decision about. Like, I'm still a Christian. Am I going to drink or am I not? Doesn't really matter to them. Matters a great deal to other people. Right. So um, generally speaking, most who deconstruct at a significant level will experience a lot of accompanying pain and suffering because you are basically ripping your beliefs up from the floorboards. 
Uh, they go through grief as they experience the loss of all th- all sorts of things like um, family, faith, friends, God, even in some cases, relationships, their own identity. Deconstruction, depending on how you handle it, can hurt a lot. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people will find it necessary to do once they've reached that point of no return. Yeah. Uh, much like the Marvel Universe with, uh, <laughs> what's his name, Kang the Conqueror, where yeah. he's like, oh, now I don't know what's happening next. Right. <laughs> I didn't know that would happen, you know, even though he's the one that dropped the pen. You know what? Yeah, yeah. We'll move on from that. <laughs> um, obviously, everyone handles these things different, and there are some common themes throughout, but everybody handles it differently. It's not our place to say if someone's deconstructing or not, just as you wouldn't presume to say if someone hurt themselves if it was painful. Like, if you stub your toe, like, it looks painful, but you don't know. Like, if somebody kicks a wall and they pretend to be fine, they might be fine. You never know. Yeah. Uh, what's painful for us might not be another person's pain and vice versa. Um, so according to the Deconstruction Network's website, 2,700 people are leaving the American church every day. And yet, 78% are retaining some level of faith. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Uh, if you guys haven't pictured it or put it together, Tim and I are both in that 78%. <laughs> You retain some level of faith. Um, and all you need is a mustard seed. And all you need is a mustard seed. Whew. Um, okay, I'm going to skip over this next part. So uh, he- here are some five, and this is the last part, just kind of defining deconstruction, just to keep in your heads. But um, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, well, here's, here's his name, Pete Enns. He's a PhD in biblical studies professor at Eastern University. Um, you will be hearing him from me a, a lot more in these next few episodes. Um, but he has five truths about deconstructed faith, and he put this on his Instagram, and I think they're, I think it's beautifully said. Um, number one, we don't bring it on ourselves. It just happens. Yeah, nobody's out there like, you know what, I think today I'm going to deconstruct Christianity. Right, right especially and you'll hear in my story, I didn't go out searching for this. Like like Chris said, there's a point of no return where it's kind of like this uh-oh moment. Like you're going, mm-hmm. oh, shoot, I, crap. Yeah. <laughs> you, you wish that you can go back to, to where you're at and to where— You can pretend to ignore it all you want, but now you have that knowledge. Yeah. And you are responsible for the knowledge that you have. Right. Whether you wanted it or not. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, you aren't failing at faith. You're expressing it. Um in, in his podcast, Pete Enns, uh, The Bible for Normal People, he, he expresses how doubting and having uncertainties is a very common theme throughout the Bible. And yet, in today's modern era, we seem to shun that a lot. You look at Job. You look at the, the, what we just read in the, the beginning of the podcast from Ecclesiastes. You had, you had so many people who had these moments, if not seasons of life, where they did not know what was going on. And like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he kind of pretty much gave up on everything for a while. Um, so if you're doubting things, if you're deconstructing, if you're if you're questioning things, you're not failing at faith. You're kind of proving the point of faith. Yeah. Um, number three, deconstruction comes from within. Now, what he means by this is it doesn't come from, like, the media. It doesn't come from left Hollywood. It doesn't come from CNN. It doesn't come from whatever That's, bo- boogeyman you have in your brain. That is one of my biggest points of contention. Uh, when I was growing up, I always heard, well, who told you that? Who taught you that? <laughs> Where would you get that source from? <laughs> like, even nowadays, 
I hear parents saying things like that all the time. Like, oh, well, who told my kid that? Right. These are people, man. Yeah. Like, they have their own thoughts and feelings, and they come to things naturally. Like, it doesn't just come from outside. Now, your knowledge base may come from outside. That's where you're learning, obviously, because a lot of times you're not just going to come up with this brand new, oh, this is the real answer right. to this. But the desire to find that knowledge, the desire to seek it out, the desire to believe it mm. comes from within. Right. right. That's not somebody influencing you. That's you deconstructing. Yeah, and, and you'll hear from our stories too. There, there's just, again, there, before the uh-oh moment, you're, you're, you're genuinely curious about things. You're trying to discover. You're trying to find truth. You're trying to— In our experiences anyway. Right. You're, you're trying to get this clearer picture of what you thought you knew. And so you're not being influenced by someone that says, hey, this, this is actually what happened. Because you'll hear from, especially my story— I was the one who was preaching that kind of stuff. I was the one who was arguing that kind of stuff. And so it, it's not that. It's not like some person on the left decided to come try to trick you and brainwash you. It just doesn't work like that. I have often. a confession, Tim. Yeah. I was the person on the left who brainwashed <gasps> you. No. Yeah. <laughs> but now that we're here, uh, let's do uh, number four. Deconstruction is not sexy or trendy. It sucks. It sucks. Like I said earlier, man, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that can cause you to lose lifelong relationships, friends, family, churches. Yeah. It breaks down everything that you've ever known about a particular topic. Yeah. And then you have to go through the work of rebuilding yourself if you want it at all. Yeah. But I don't know if you guys have ever done demo on a house. Um, I know like the whole DIY thing is real big mm. right now. I've demoed a few houses. I've demoed a few construction sites. And it's not just wildly swinging a hammer and breaking down everything. It's not the fun stuff you see on HGTV. Mm -hmm. You've got to, like, rip out those nails, and you've got to get a crowbar under the floorboards, and you pop stuff up, and you can find some scary stuff. You can get hit with the nails yourself. Like, you can slip, you cut yourself, you get hurt a lot on deconstruction sites. That's how it is for deconstruction of beliefs. Yeah. It hurts. But there's a beauty to it because you can rebuild after that. Right. And you've got hopefully some kind of solid foundation to build on. And and, and this is a really important point because I, I've seen this. L- luckily, especially from websites like TikTok, you, you kind of get into this algorithm of finding people who think the same way that you do. And for whatever good or bad that can be, for people who are deconstructing, it kind of, at least for me, I mean, granted, this has been going on for a while, but especially since the rise of TikTok, it's been like, oh, that's really great points. Or, oh, mm-hmm. there's someone else who thought this as well. And yeah. I'm not alone in that. And so, but this is also important because I've seen, too, from a lot of churches, their 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 response to the deconstruction demographic, this new rise, is either, one, trying to control it by saying, hey, well, this is how you should deconstruct, or, two, they're shaming the people. Yeah, trying to stop it. And again, this is not necessarily a choice. This is something that's happening to us, and we're still learning, and we're still trying to figure out where to go from here. And so when you decide to attack a group of people like that, you are not helping your case at all. Right. <laughs> you are not doing it any better. Thank you for proving exactly <laughs> what I thought. Um, but number five, Chris, close it out. Deconstruction does something positive for our faith that nothing else can do. So I'm sure you've heard the parable of the man who built his house 
on the sand versus a man who built his house on the stone. The guy who built his house on the sand came in, built a house real quick, a beautiful house, had good old time, and, you know, nice little river view or sea view or whatever it was, somebody water, um, built his house on the sand. And the entire time he was building his house, this man was digging a trench around his house and setting the foundation. So by the time the guy who built his house on the sand was done, just relaxing in the shade, the other guy was just now getting started on building his house, mm. which I'm sure sucked. He had to dig through stone. He had to bring stuff all over from everywhere else to set a foundation. The other guy just laughed at him. When the rain came, the guy who had the foundation was still there. The guy whose house was on the sand got washed away with the rains. That's what deconstruction does. It yeah. it tears down the house that was built on the sand all the way down to the lack of foundation, and then it allows you to set a new foundation and rebuild the house in that same spot, again, if you want it, Right on a new, more solid, more based foundation. So you're not going to get washed away the next time the rain comes. Yeah, that's good. And you got some good, deep nuggets today. I'm Bro, excited. I told you, I'm, I'm coming for it. This is <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. I don't have to put this stuff in the notes because I live this every day. <laughs> Chris and I are so different, guys. When we're preparing all this stuff, I'm like every once in a while checking in on Chris. Like, hey, man, just let you know I did this. I'm saying it as if like I'm just, uh, hey, I'm just letting you know I did this. I did that. But and he's I- he's like, hey, you should do this. You should do that, too. I understand what you're getting at, Tim. But it's okay. I will hold your hand through this process. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hey, guys. Um, that That is getting started with this. And then we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to share our stories and just kind of dive into how we kind of got to where we are right now. So we'll be right back. We are back. Back we are, back we are. Back we are. All right, guys. So this next segment of this first episode, um, which, by the way, we didn't actually title this episode. We didn't, I mean, granted, I guess it'll be in the... the yeah, you, we always title the episode afterwards. Yeah, but this first, we didn't say what this episode is going to be about, is what I'm saying. Oh. This 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 episode, <laughs> sorry if you're 20 minutes into this, is kind of... <laughs> Brought like, to you by... <laughs> Um, but today we're, we're defining the word and we're sharing our stories and that's essentially what it is. And so, um, we knew that especially on my end, that was going to take a lot of time. So I, like, like we mentioned at the tail end of last episode, um, we, we knew that going in that this was going to be a long series. So we are doing our best to kind of categorize everything and put everything into its own episode. So that way, one, we're not stepping over each other all the time or not each other, but like over our or thoughts and comments and um, points, but also to just make it easier to go through and yeah, makes it look prettier too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So I'm gonna start with mine. What is it? One score and not years ago. The score is twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, almost thirty. It's coming <laughs> up, man. Yeah. Um, God, you're old. I know. Okay, so before I dive into my story. Uh, I want to give some rules and principles of hearing my deconstruction for both you, the listener, and myself. Um, number one, growth is a never-ending process. So where I'm at today is not where I'm being done with. Um, I can tell you right now, 
I'm very different. I have different thoughts from four months ago. Yeah. I have different thoughts from two weeks ago on certain issues. It, this is, and there's some issues that I've gone back and forth to. There's some things that I deconstructed from and reconstructed, and there's some things that I haven't reconstructed from, and that's okay. Um, but the point is, is that growth is a never-ending process. Number two, the only way to take in new, or excuse me, the only way to grow is to take in new information. Right. I mean that. If you keep listening to the same things over and over and over again, you won't learn. I, I get into arguments with people, especially some family members, where we'll, we'll be talking about something political, and they'll bring up their side of things. And I'll go, cool, where did you get that from? And it's usually one of two sources. And you can probably put that in your head what those two sources are. And so I usually prepared for these conversations and going, okay, cool. Here's how the other side says it. There's, there's actually apps out there that actually let you look at the same subject and look at articles from both sides. Yeah. But my point is, is that if you don't take in new information or new perspectives, your perspective will never change. You will never understand what your neighbor is, under, what your neighbor is feeling yeah. and going through. There's absolutely a cap. To how much you can learn right. from a specific source. Yeah, yeah. And, and both sides, both sides. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's left all right. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on or the religious spectrum you're on. The, 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 this goes so deep. The more you listen to only things that you like to hear, the more stuck you get. Mm-hmm. It's just simple as that. Number three, you won't truly get where I'm coming from or Chris is coming from until you've listened and actually read and tried to, like I mentioned before, understand, read what we have read, which is why we're giving out resources, which is why we're recommending books and podcasts and things to listen to. We're going to do our best to explain some things, but if you, if something catches your, your eye, if something really catches your attention and go, I want to study that more. Read it, please read. We're not the experts. We're, that's the whole point is we're not experts, but we've read enough to go, okay, this challenges our thoughts of what we used to know. And maybe I have a different opinion now. And so, and then lastly, we can't understand everything that goes in someone's mind. We have to look at actions <laughs> Lucky for you. Yeah. We have to look at actions. So I'm going to get started. Please so, do. My deconstruction story started at birth. I remember that. In the, t- <laughs> you remember that? I was there. In the church, quite literally. My parents became children's pastors just a few years before I was born, and with the parents being full-time children's pastors, I spent a lot of my spare time at the church, helping dad build things or playing video games in the game room. Church was life. This is not just something that PKs say, um, pastors' kids. This is something that really our lives revolved around the church. Some churches I grew up in, we had church services twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays. Did you ever have ever have anyone any yeah. of those? Yeah, Dude, no, those... I did. You were at the church. Did Grace used to do that? Yeah. Oh wow, I don't even remember. Yeah, it was yeah. extreme. Two um, on Sundays because we asked, we used to have to do the uh, the first service as like a, a church member and then second service is when we did all the leadership stuff. Oh member, you member. Well those were morning services, but like an afternoon, like an evening. Oh, um sometimes I think. Like I'm talking about like you go you go to church, you go you're you're dismissed, you go have lunch, you take a nap maybe, and then you go back to church. I've been to churches like that, but no, I don't think Grace ever did that. Yeah. I've been there. It is not fun. It's church day. Um no don't get me wrong. I do want to um, 
well, let me say this. We spent weekends at church events. We spent weekends at conferences, retreats, and holidays preparing for special services. Um, but I, I do believe that I was one of the lucky ones. I still remember my parents making time for my sporting events or band trips and, uh, yes, even family, uh, epic family road trip vacations. But I also remember just how much time my father devoted to serving and giving towards others and how much of his free time he gave to the church. He gave so much time. Still does. Still stinking does. So this next part of my story, I like to call youth group. Tim writes his stories in chapters. I do. (laughs) Which makes it easy for me to follow along in the notes. I know where he's going next. Uh, Chris, I know you're going to have some stuff to say about this segment. So many things. Um, I feel like the next big stage of my life was the youth group. I remember feeling so enamored and passionate about not only wanting to be in it, but to serve in it. I spent most of my youth group's years serving, learning to play bass guitar and playing in the band, learning and starting a sound team, the SALT team. Do you remember that? SALT, yeah. Sound and light technology. Sound and light, yeah. Salty guys. I was there. (laughs) Salty guys. I was there. Those shirts were killer, man. Yeah, yeah. We had had like bowling shirts that said SALT on them. I forgot about that. (laughs) It was so great. Um, Chris and I started a small group for boys. Um, We served at youth camp. We uh, did lock-ins and... Just a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, the youth group is where we met. That's where our relationship actually started, where we flourished and everything. And we went through a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously, I did not learn bass guitar because I cannot play guitar to save my life. But you can but sing. I Yeah, I did vocals. I, yeah. was, I was in the band as well. So we spent a lot of our time doing a lot of the same things. Right. Um, so youth group was probably one of the greatest influences in my upgrade, upbringing. Uh, pastors like Pastor Daryl Walker and Eric Reynolds, um, they helped show me how to love others and to serve passionately. I mean, special moment for Pastor Daryl. I, I love Pastor Eric, but Daryl was, I mean, he was the guy. Mm-hmm. He, he, he he knew how he to. He did he. He did <laughs> As Aaron calling said. Calling an old white guy, P. Diddy. <laughs> yeah. As Aaron said, that, <laughs> it still brings me joy to think we did that genuinely. I like, know, I know. We genuinely called him P. Diddy. <laughs> Uh, youth group was a lot of fun. I, I have a ton of great memories about it, but don't get me wrong. There were some things I do remember that were off and that I couldn't put to words yet until later, like laughing evangelicals. Do you remember were you there for that? I don't remember. Purity speeches, quirky leaders, and uh, we, we'll be talking about those in other episodes, but there, there's a lot. Um, but most of my awareness for these things wouldn't really arrive to my head until years later. Um, again, I do believe that I was kind of one of the lucky ones. I don't remember any deliberate spiritual abuse. Um, no, more on systemic spiritual abuse later, but I don't remember anything, anyone really do anything that would damage me at the time. Um, I, I, I remember having amazing leaders who genuinely cared about me and, and about the others and gave me an opportunity to, quote, rise in the ranks. But this is where I'll get to my next chapter. And this kind of is a little backstory as to who I am and, and where a lot of my thoughts come from. Well, let me give the chapter title. Please do. History and Apologetics. It was during this time in youth group that I discovered two of some of my favorite things. History... And apologetics. See, told you. <laughs> <laughs> told you. Um, as a kid, I always loved learning things. I would engulf my myself in sciencey books, you know, like those kind of books that just have random science facts. Yeah, like a hundred and one fun facts that yeah. you didn't know, or like 
302 facts about the Civil War. Or... Yeah, that was me yeah. all, all day long. Um, I loved world record books, history books. Uh, I just wanted to know how everything worked. In fact, my daughter is the same way. She loves to like just – there's a book that she has where it's like these different science facts. She loves it. Um, but I love knowing things other people didn't. And that's kind of where it, it's almost selfish, but it's just I love kind of like, hey, did you know this? Yeah. <laughs> I bet you didn't. Um, and, and so last week I, I was talking about how I went to D.C. on a family vacation. Um, well, as my family will painfully remember, I spent much of my time in that vacation just being my family's personal tour guide and just basically telling them everything that I knew and they didn't know or like every once in a while trying to correct the tour guide and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I just That was just me. I loved history. I loved reading about it, and I loved knowing things that other people didn't. The love of information grew um, into an unhealthy love of debate. Um. I'm sure Chris remembers. I do. I definitely do. (laughs) If I so much sniffed someone talking about anything controversial, I had to get my two cents in. And of course, I would cite my sources and bring up the evidence to the conversation. And as you can imagine, 2008 was hell for me. We're a little white conservative debater. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So at this point in my life, I had already started my deconstruction. And this was probably the most tumultuous time of our relationship. <laughs> I'm surprised we made it through and still stuck as best friends. I know. But I know. we did it. We did it. We did it. We're here. I was like, look at us. I know. Look at us. Here look at us. How do we get Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Not me. Oh. Uh, okay. As I grew up in youth group um, and the internet, this lust for correctedness correctness led me to apologetics. So, um, for those who don't know, apologetics is basically the study of knowing, um, being being able to defend your faith. Essentially, there's a lot more to it, but that's the principle of it. Um, so, I would spend hours watching people like Dr. William Lane Craig, Lee Strobel, and Timothy Keller, and fueling myself up for the next time I would find an enemy to devour in the form of an atheist or a liberal, for that matter. <laughs> Liberals are the worst, aren't they? Just if they're caring about people and putting others first, following the real words of Jesus. God, liberals. So much of my energy was spent trying to convince people of, quote, the truth. Now, here's the next chapter. Working at the church slash going to college. After high school, I believe God had told me... <laughs> <laughs> Do you like this chapter? <laughs> no, so my favorite thing about this is like it's actually written like a book in the notes. I I, I realized I was like, you know what? I'm probably going to turn this into a book someday. <laughs> you should. You really should. I'd read it. Thanks. Uh, I'd buy it on audiobook. Thanks. Uh, I don't read. <laughs> um. Okay, so after our high school, I believe God had told me to stay in Colleen, to go to a local college, and to serve at the church. So that's what I did. I started small groups. I played in the band. I gave everything I humanly could to serving the youth ministry. And finally, it led to a part-time job serving under the youth pastor at the time. And this was the start of seeing how the sausage was made. What you never want to do. No. I will hold off a lot of my work church experience because we're going to have an episode of about that. It's the next episode, actually. Um, but I will just say for now that it didn't take long to see the imperfections in the so-called Bride of Christ. 
Of course, with ministry being something I wanted to pursue, I took um, some Theology 101 courses. I really enjoyed, of course, learning more, but it was probably here that I think I would mark as the first sign of my deconstruction. So earlier, we asked questions um, on our social media, and Harley asked, so when was your, um, I can't remember exactly what she said, but when when do you like remember marking your first time as deconstructing? Like, When do you think it was here? And it was here. And I wasn't even aware of it. Um, so during an Old Testament survey course, the professor was asking about the whys of God's commandments to the Israelites. So why this command? Why do this? Why don't do this? And in this exercise, he brought up a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, verse six, which reads, "When you lend something, to, uh, when you lend someone something, you are not to take as a security his millstones used for grinding his corn. This will take away the family's means of preparing food to keep alive." Now. I know this sounds silly, comical, and even a little underwhelming as to you know how this was the start of my deconstruction, but I do believe this is kind of the start of it all because up until this point, with my understanding of the Bible and faith and God and even politics, I believe that if God said it, that's the way it was, or if the pastor said it, that's the way it was. The why didn't matter. It's like, I don't know how, about you, Chris, but sometimes my parents would say something to me and go, and I would ask why, go, that's what I said, or that's just what I... Oh, I got that yeah. all the time. And, and so that was, my, time. that was my mentality when it came to faith and to the Bible and, and a lot of other things. And so it wasn't like this detrimental thing that happened to me in this moment where I'm like, oh, my faith is falling apart. It was more like, wow, I never thought about it like that One way those before. those moments where you're just like, hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so this line of thought would, over the next few years, begin to build interest in my understanding of why did God slash the church, which I believed was the God-ordained spokesperson for him, say or do X, Y, Z. This was kind of my drive for the next few years to figure out what were all the whys, because I thought that would be a good way to defend my arguments. I thought that would be a good way to kind of go, yeah, but God said this because of this. And, you know, people like Ben Shapiro, like, just, dip, you know, never mind. I'm not going to get to it right ben now. Ben Shapiro isn't smart. I'll say it. He's not smart. So questions like, why God? Why did God prohibit men to have sex with their wives during their menstrual period? Why does our church not look like al- not like alcohol? Why was God not okay with the homosexual sin of Sodom, but perfectly okay with Lot giving up the daughter to, to be gang raped? Why does the Genesis story seem to be different in two different chapters? Why does Paul seem to have such a thing for homosexuals, and yet Jesus doesn't? Now, I can hear many Christian friends saying the go-to responses to these questions, and to be honest, I used to use most of those arguments. Mm-hmm. I believed in them. Mm-hmm. I thrived in debating with them. Mm-hmm. But what I couldn't take away after that simple, easy, childish verse was a thought that would linger unknowingly, and that was, I was wrong about this. What else could I be wrong about? Which leads me to my next chapter. Epistemology? Epistemology. Epistemology. (laughs) Epistemology and fundamentalism. As someone who had literally grown up in the church with pastors as parents and was usually the most biblical, biblically knowledge uh, student in the room, it became increasingly more frustrating when the scriptures themselves were not giving me the black and white answers I was looking for. I knew about context. I knew about the Hebrew and Greek. Granted, I'm no expert, but I knew about it. But I was also aware enough to know that I was no expert. 
It was around this time I began to look to theologians, scholars, professors to answer my questions. This would come up in two forms mostly, books and podcasts. I loved reading books, but it wasn't always convenient to bring a book with you, so I'd quickly submerge myself into the new world of podcast. This is where it all began, Chris. So you did this to me years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> Um, at first, my podcasting all revolved around the Bible itself, but again, as someone who wanted to know more, I would venture out and discover those who had also just been on this journey. It was it was here that I first heard the word deconstruction. In one of my favorite podcasts at the time, The Liturgist, I was introduced to another word, epistemology, which is a branch of philosophy revolving around knowledge. Essentially, this theory of knowledge begs you to ask the question, how do I know what I know? Now, here's an example from um, I recently rediscovered in the book by Jared Bias titled Love Matters More. And it's the story of the ancient elephant story that kind of goes something like this. So basically, Chris, there are three blind men on a journey that happen to bump into something really large. Have you heard the story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm familiar. So the first feels something broad and round that feels like a, a tree trunk. So he tells the others, it's a tree trunk. The second takes a small step and is smacked in the face with something skinny and with a small tuft at the end. It's a rope, he says. And then the last man puts his hand out and he feels something hard, broad, tall, and flat, and he comes to the conclusion that it's just a large wall. But as Jared puts it, the punchline of the story assumes that the person telling the story, and we, the reader of the story, knows it's an elephant. But the point is to assume the position of the one of the blind men, to assume that our perspective may not be the whole picture, and that maybe everyone in our collective group has it all wrong. But here's another way to think about it. How do you know that Napoleon Bonaparte, the... Yeah, the conqueror, the French yeah. emperor. How do you know he was short? Actually, fun fact, I know he wasn't. But let's just let's just say let's just say kicks and giggles. You, you, okay. How do you how, how would you know over, that? Skipping over the actual historical right, right, right. knowledge that I personally have. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of people told you he was short. Right. How do they know that? Because people told them. How do they trust that? Forced perspective from a painting. <laughs> so it, here, here's my point in this: is even if you weren't to go that route, if you were to go like, well, hey, I read it in a history book, or I read it from this, you, you have to do a lot of trusting. In this process, yeah. you have to trust the person that told you. You have to trust the person who read it out of a book. You have to trust the author of that book. You have to trust the author who understood the concept, who understood the history at the time. You, you, there's so many layers of trust to where it's so far away from you. You have to trust so many things for you to understand or to believe in a certain thing. Right. So the question is, how do you trust anything? That's, that's epistemology in a nutshell. Okay. Caveat to that before we go any deeper. Yeah. That doesn't apply to scientists. No, no. Well, because they do research. They, they, they show you the work. They're the ones that do the research. <laughs> They'll show you their work, yes. Yeah. Okay. I just want to get that out there before somebody's like, oh, yeah, vaccines. No, I mean, Anyways, it, moving on. It, it, it can go crazy, like, extreme. Like, okay, let's, like, how do you know you're not in the matrix? How do you know you're not a simulation? Because you can't trust anything that you feel or touch because— like 30% of the time, I think I might be. <laughs> um, I hope I am. But this is this really spoke to me at the time because it reinforced a question that alarmed me at the time is why do I believe what I believe? And I would quickly learn of another term that would play a large role in my deconstruction, and that was fundamentalism. 
As someone who was raised to believe that our church provided all the answers via the Bible, once I began to see just how wide the spectrum of answers I got from questions I was asking, even within the same denominations of beliefs, it dawned on me that our faith is not as sound as my pastors let on. It wasn't that simple. Every There were so many things. Okay, here's the definition from Dictionary.com about fundamentalism. A religious movement characterized by a strict belief in the literal interpretation of religious texts, especially within American Protestantism, Protestantism and Islam. Chris, did you know that there are, over, there are around 45,000 45, Christian denominations? I knew there were a lot. I did not realize it was that many. I knew there was like thousands, but I didn't know like 45,000. There are 45 separate 45,000. Not churches, denominations that have their own churches. Yes. That have different ideas, different understandings of how the Bible, faith, God, everything works. Which is weird because like, you have to look at like at least half of those are fundamentalist as it is. So you've got like the Southern Baptist versus right. the fundamental Southern Baptist. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of weird. So the question is, which one is right? Yes. <laughs> Most claim to receive their answers from the same Bible, and yet they all have distinctive ways of looking at the Christian faith. When looking for different answers from topics like evolution, LGBTQ, science, politics, or whatever, it, it surprised me to find a vast array of different responses from people using the exact same verses. I, I, it, was, it was astonishing to me. I remember just looking at things, I'm like, these guys are all using the same scripture, but having different mm-hmm. conclusions. And and trust me, we will be talking about some of these things in the Bible in another episode. And to be fair, fundamentalism isn't strictly applied to Christians either. I've seen it uh, plenty on. Uh, uh, I've seen it plenty from atheists online who have who blindly follow a person or group as if their truth is the whole truth. So true, like Scientologists. Oh yeah. Um, but this realization quickly, what was that sound I just made? I was, <laughs> I was trying not to laugh at that. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but this realization quickly led me to believe that what I was taught as a child in church, what I read from the Christian bookstores, arguments I read, theologians I studied, sermons I listened to from pastors, or even well-intended truths from my parents may not be all there is. So, it's at this point in my story, I'd like to point out that this wasn't all just about theology, or it wasn't just like logical arguments. Again, I had heard the arguments before. I had read those theological books. I defended the 6,000-year-old earth. Which I think was one of the most frustrating things to me, because like even from the beginning, <laughs> I, I was not about the 6,000-year earth, and you were just like, no, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's in the Bible. And I was like, but... Like, because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Oh, yeah. And I was like, no, these fossils are like 65 million years old. And, and there's ways like, to prove it. Like, I, I can show you the science. Yeah. Like, it's, it's right here. I know. I know. I know. Um, so I knew how to defend it, like, the creation. Uh, I knew how to defend the creation of the Gospels. I knew how to prove that the Bible was infallible. I not only believed in these theological and cultural beliefs, I lived for them. But here's what I believed helped really allow the cracking of the door. For my genuine questions and curiosity to lead to a full acceptance to allow myself to be open to a new understanding. Stories. I love hearing people's stories. 
I love hearing people's expect uh, experiences and what and what I think allowed me to let my guard down was to sympathize and have empathy for others. You know, it's a truth I now hold on to fiercely that the best ways to understand, to discover, and to allow your mind and heart to be open is to truly feel with others. While I've seen and heard so many stories of parents um, of of child that had come out to them uh, as as gay or uh, LGBTQ, um, and I've seen so many stories where the parents would rebuke them and shun them. I've also seen and read stories of parents who at first didn't understand but decided to investigate and try to figure it out on their own, and as a result had their hearts and minds changed. And now for those of you who are thinking the heart is deceitful above all things, we'll get into that into another episode, but this might seem trivial or minuscule, but this is one of the biggest reasons I will still consider myself a Christian because Jesus was willing to be with people. He was willing mm-hmm. to forsake his reputation, to listen, and to do uh, for those who were marginalized. Now, it's worth a short mention that during most of this time, I was relatively quiet about most of these thoughts, even with my wife. Um, I knew that Jesus loved me, or Jesus, I knew that Jess loved me, and I, and, and I, I knew that she would, I, I knew that she wouldn't just, you know, get up and leave, but there were some questions I had that I feared would scare Jess away that would at least make her scared. Right. Cause she's also a pastor's kid. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as we said earlier, deconstruction is highly personal. Not everybody has the same journey. So you don't really know where she was at on that walk yeah. at that time. Um, no, occasionally I would hint at things in random conversations, but most of my candid conversations with her didn't come until a few years into my awareness of what even deconstruction was. And again, it's not because I thought she would just leave me, but I just I knew it could lead to conflict or division within the house, and I didn't want to add any more pain or stress onto her that I knew was pressing on us from the church, which, again, I'll get to in the next episode. But once we both got into the point of us being able to freely share with each other's thoughts and questions with one another, our relationship flourished i can't for those of you who don't know we're actually in their bedroom right now so i can see the bed where their relationship flourished and that i don't know if you notice like if you're watching on youtube i'm like leaning away from the bed i'm just kidding (laughs) there's a new sheet so you're good oh cool Uh, (laughs) um where am i at uh flourished yeah yeah Uh, so unfortunately those who are starting to deconstruct can feel very alone, especially if they feel like their church leaders or family might look at them differently or worse, disown them for their newfound beliefs. <laughs> and we'll go into this during our church episode, but so many of those that have deconstructed publicly have been shamed, forgotten, and rejected. That's why that point number four earlier was so important because when when I hear Christians on the pulpit demonizing and, and shaming and and trying to guilt trip people for having doubts and thoughts and questions, they are they're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus would have done, which is to just listen and to try to understand. And they're they're adding fuel to the fire and they're they're making the hurt or the pain worse. And this was not an easy process for me. And it's now even still challenging. There I know that in this process, I know that relationships are going to be different moving forward from here. Oh yeah. I know that hundred percent. I know that people are going to look at me differently and I know that things, people are going to look at my family differently. Mm -hmm. 
And Jessica and I have for a long time been not holding back is not the right word, but just been so cautious with our feelings and thoughts because we were so scared, even a little bit now, of what's going to come from this. Right. So I'm going to end my story here. Not because it's the end of it, but rather, number one, we're going to go into greater detail with different subjects. But number two, because there isn't really an end. Deconstruction isn't about reaching an end point. It's about discovering more about you and why you believe what you believe. I feel like if I ever got to the point again of blindly following anything, religious or political, that I've failed to grow. And I'm sure many people are going to be like, Aha, I, I knew it. I knew he was a leftist. I knew he was liberal or <laughs> I knew there was something wrong or off or whatever. And I know how this is going to look. I know that there are going to be people, and I know how they're going to feel about this. And I know what this is going to mean for the dynamics with my family. But the fact of the matter is, is I am now more joyful and at peace with the divine than ever before. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of a time where things just suddenly miraculously flipped. There, there was no like aha moment where there was an oh moment, but there was never like a, oh crap, I'm now on this side of things. It's been a journey and it's been a long journey and I'm still not done. There are some things that I have radically changed with, but there are some things that I still actually have doubled down on. One of the interesting things, and I'm, I'm getting close here, I promise. One of the interesting things I think people will assume is that I have miraculously overnight converted to the left or to the dark side because I haven't publicly been very vocal about it. But the truth is, I've done my homework. Now, not to sound like the people that go, well, I've done my research, but I've been in a process and I've been on a journey for years unraveling why I believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. I wasn't talked into deconstructing. I didn't even know what it was when I started this journey, and I wasn't persuaded to join the other side. I've simply grasped some new truths, some that take away from what I originally knew and some that built on top of it. And also for those wondering, no, these are not all the reasons for my deconstruction. This is why we're doing a series to give a bigger platform to each topic. Because there's always more than this. There's always more than this. And the last thing, the, the, the sucky thing is, is I want to, sh- I think the reason why I've been so anxious about this series is that I want to show people where I'm at and why I'm here, but until people can put in the time to do their own research and to honestly go through some of the journey that we have, and it's going to be extremely difficult for people to see my perspective. And granted, that's with any subject, but part of this journey for me has been learning to let go of what feels comfortable and to explore the uncomfortable. It has consisted of me finding myself reading and listening to articles, books, podcasts, and people who are different from myself. And I was never looking to become different. I was never looking to become a different person nor to change my beliefs. But rather what has happened is because I've grown relationships with people who are not like me. And I've been more open to change. Now that doesn't mean that I have completely changed everything about my belief system. But it does now mean that I'm at a place where I'm okay with change when it comes. Yeah. That's my story. I said 20 minutes. I got 32 minutes. Oh, you started your story at like three minutes. So really, let's <laughs> say 29. You're in the 20s. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You're in the 20s. 20s. The 20s. The 20s. is. Chris. All right. Um, it's here, brother. So my story is very similar to Tim's, and I won't go into as much detail because, one, my story is very personal to me, and two, I didn't write out my notes like Tim did. So, <laughs> yeah. um, we'll just we'll talk about it a little bit. So, getting into the history of my life, 
I was actually also very similarly born into the church. Uh, my parents are not pastors, so I don't have the whole pastoral thing. But my parents are what I would call chronic volunteers. Oh. So they could not just go to a church. They always got involved with whether they're like being ushers or greeters or doing small group leaderships, prayer groups, that type of thing. Like they were always there. Um, they were always volunteering. And I was always being voluntold to do something. I'm sure if you are from a church family, you're familiar with the term being voluntold. Yes. Or if you're a military child, you are absolutely familiar with being voluntold to do something. Yep. It's when something is technically optional, but if you don't do it, you <laughs> will get beat. Or, that, was, that was my life. Or shamed. Or shamed. No, for sure, shamed. Yeah. No, you get beat and shamed. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I was voluntold to do a lot of things. I grew up in the church. I was literally there every Sunday. I was there every Wednesday. I was there for all the game nights and the events and the hallelujah parties, mm. which are just like the Christian version of Halloween. <laughs> oh, my God, don't get me started on that. Fall, fall festivals. Fall, fall festivals. Fall festivals. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for all the festivals. So, I, it, Trust me, if Tim was at the church, I was probably also at the <laughs> yeah. church. Um, how do you think we became friends, guys? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. That's how we were friends. We were always there at the same times. Um, so, yeah, I was raised in the church as though my parents are pastors. The difference is my parents didn't have the knowledge base of a pastor. Like, they didn't have the, the education, the degrees, any of that stuff. So they were basically just repeating everything that they had heard on or at church or off of, uh, what was it, the TBN. The Trinity oh, Broadcasting Network. Oh my that gosh. channel was always on in my house. I just, I just, never mind. always on. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that'll unlock some childhood oh memories. Oh my god! Right yeah. There. Um, what was that? That show, Praise the Lord, mm. was always on. Mm. Oh my god. <sighs> I do have great memories of church. I do. Um, most of my people I met at church. So Tim, my wife, Jess, I met all of them at one church or another. Um, so. I got voluntold to do a lot of things. I was on the the worship team, like Tim had mentioned, in youth group. I was on the, oh, childhood memory unlocked just now. I was on the puppet team. Oh, <laughs> for, the puppet team. For, uh, <laughs> was it Super Church at the time? So oh, man. Uh, kindergarten through fifth grade was Super Church <laughs> at our old church, Grace Christian. And we had this puppet team, which had like, Two adults and the rest of us were kids that were awful at puppets <laughs> that did little skits for all the other kids. Was it was was it for was it like mine where if you were in the puppet team you're like in the elite? Yeah, that, okay. that was the leadership of the church. <laughs> yeah, which was really cool if you spend all of your time in the church. Right. But like in retrospect, if I were outside of the church looking at it, it's not cool at all. <laughs> not cool. Being on a puppet team is not cool at all. <laughs> not as cool as it sounds, guys, okay? Calm down. <laughs> take, it, take it down a notch. I'm just a minor celebrity, all right? <laughs> um, but speaking of puppet teams, I was the memory verse champion. Oh, my God. You're, like, unlocking so many things in my I'm head I'm telling right now. you, bro. Like, this, this is where I came from. This is when I started. Like, to this day, I can give you all 66 books of the Bible in nice. order, in speed. I was never right? that good. I, oh, I was that good. <laughs> So you could actually say I was a better pastor's kid than Tim. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> coming at you. Um, yeah, so on top of that, my uh, first grade year in elementary school, I went 
I left my original elementary school and started going to Grace Christian Academy. Ooh, I've heard which was stories. the private school that our church had at the time. Yeah. Um, I did that through fourth grade and then I was homeschooled in fifth grade by my mom who just took the books from the fifth grade GCA <laughs> and homeschooled me off of those books. Like she I, took them? Not like stole oh. them, but like <laughs> the same books that they used, she bought them. Chris, what do you have in your backpack? Just just, just leave it here. Leave it here. Nothing. <laughs> Pay no attention. <laughs> no. Um, so I went to a Christian school. I was raised up in the church. I had read the whole Bible by the time I was in sixth grade, cover to cover. Nice. Um, that's the only time I've ever done it, but <laughs> I did it once. And then studying the Bible, obviously, did like different read-throughs and different yeah. kinds of uh, devotionals and all kinds of stuff like that. Like, I am the devotional king. If you give me a devotional, I guarantee you I've probably already read it <laughs> and I already know how it's going to end. Yeah. It is difficult for me. Like, I don't even do devotionals anymore, not because of my deconstruction, but because I stopped finding good I devotionals. Know <laughs> I know it all. Everything you give me, I have. Look, I don't, look, I'm sorry to interrupt here, but I don't care who you are. If you've grown up in the church, if you were a pastor's kid, if, if, if you were immersed like Chris was, there's really not that much newness when it no. comes to like devotionals or teachings and stuff. It's it's mostly the same. It's things. in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the There's sun. There's nothing new. <laughs> There's nothing new. You know it all. Um, yeah. So by the time I was in sixth grade, I had read the entire Bible cover to cover, and I could quote you chapter and verse a scripture on any topic you can bring up. I can still do that to this day. I believe it. Oh man, it's and. I can do it before. If you say, hey, give me something that you knew before going to Bible college, I can like separate the two. Yeah. Like I know what I learned and when I learned it. That's how immersed I was in this. It's impressive. In evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. Lordy. That's, um, a, that's a word we're going <laughs> to play around oh, yeah, with a lot. No, we're we're going to have fun with that one. <laughs> so, you know, I, I also went to youth group meetings. Like I said, this is where Tim and I met. Uh, we had the coolest time being salt guys, which again, not as cool as it sounds. Not as cool as it sounds. We were the the <laughs> AV club of the church, basically. I mean, it was it was pretty cool because we 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 were like everyone else would want to like we were in charge of the service. Like it, looking back at it, they they give us a lot of trust. Oh yeah, the, the, the youth pastors. Yeah, and, no, for sure. A bunch of eighth graders <laughs> running all of the sound and the lights and like the, the slideshows and the yeah. movies. Like, who's to say I couldn't have slipped in something? Ooh. To one of those videos, like, oh, sorry, Ooh, wrong video. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of trust. Yeah, it sure was. I wouldn't do it if I was passing. <laughs> you want me to give total control of my sound lights and video to an eighth grade prepubescent boy? Nope. <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's where that went. Um, like Tim said, we were on the worship band, so we were leading... And this this was a pretty good sized church for our area, like yeah. four or five hundred kids um, yeah, yeah. every Wednesday and like three fourths that many on Sundays because we had two services. Mm-hmm. Um and we did worship every service, like yeah. first service, second service on Sundays, and then Wednesdays. Uh, the Wednesday nights we did worship as well. Wednesday was the big night. Yeah, Wednesdays was the show. Right. It's like a Friday night concert if you're not Christian. <laughs> um so we, we led the worship band leading children to the altar of God, more or less. Um, I've got some issues with that, too. Um, 
going through the leadership classes, we did the XLR8. Oh, yeah. Leadership with Pasadero. Accelerate. Yeah. uh, Actually, Tim and I were two out of four young people that were, it it was four. No, there was was a couple more. Oh, you're talking about like our our age? Six of us, yeah. Um, Because technically to be in the leadership class, you had to be a junior or senior in high school. And we were allowed in as freshmen. I think there was like four or five of us. I think like Javon was in there for like a minute, but then he's like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, Javon got smart. (laughs) Anyway, um... (laughs) No shade on Pasadero. Like it was great. I, we like, had a great I, I time. Remember, like yeah. I said, these are these are all really good <laughs> memories that I have. Like I'm deconstructing not because of strict abuse. Like a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, right. I went through this situation, and that's why I'm deconstructing." For me, and obviously for for Tim, as he mentioned, like we didn't have any specific spiritual abuses that were like done to us. Um, obviously, you know, going to churches like this, there's always this systemic abuse. Right. There's things that happen to everyone that's not okay. Um, there are manipulative circumstances, and there are people that take advantage of you when you're in situations like that, for sure. But it's not like I was abused or shamed specifically into my deconstruction. It just... It happens. Right. Now, looking back, I do remember people who were definitely shamed. Oh, 100%. I know, yeah, I can think of a few right off the top of my head that were, and their deconstruction started because of those events, but it wasn't for me. Right. Um, You know, I I was a small group leader. We started Steadfast for the young men at our church. Steadfast. Um, That was a fun experience, and I think we did a lot of good there. I think so. Uh, Probably a little bit of harm, but more good than harm, I think. I hope. I like to think. Well, I hope. If you don't mind, Chris, I'd like to just say something. A lot of times when people are hearing people's deconstruction stories, they assume that it's it's. And I know it sounds you know comical, but it's not always personal. Like with Daryl, or even me. Like, I'll, I'll just point to me as a pastor. There are things that I now look back, or when I was a pastor, like I'm like, no, what I said is unhealthy. That doesn't mean that I was the person that was like, I was a horrible human being, but looking back at it, I'm like, no, some of those things are not the way to go about, you know, whatever it was. And so, um, and we'll definitely get into this in the next episode with church, but, um, a lot of these leaders, like Chris and I are talking about, we remember them very fondly. They might've had said systemic things that were definitely wrong or unhealthy, but speaking on my part, for the most part, we had good experiences with said leaders. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we were the good Christian kids for the most part that yeah, did we, the things. We were the ones that were doing what we were supposed to do. Right. So there was no reason to abuse us. Yeah. But Sorry to interrupt. Was, no, you're good. Um, but all of that, you know, small group leaders. I was in the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, all that cool stuff. Um, from there, just kind of followed the natural progression that most church leadership kids do. I went to a Christian college. I got my degree in... How did you go and I didn't? <laughs> yeah, that, let's see. I'm obviously a better pastor's kid than you. Um, <laughs> no, so I actually went to uh, UTSA first. I When I graduated high school, I went to UTSA. I started working at Disney, did a, a mechanical engineering internship. And I think while I was there in Florida, that's where my deconstruction really started where I started like breaking down why do I believe this? Why do I believe that? Um, these Because I met so many different people. Um, working at Disney, you literally meet people from all over the world, and you work with them like a family. Like yeah. It's real close. It's that liberal 
uh, company, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Controlling everything. <laughs> Putting chemicals in the water to turn the frogs gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's, I think that's probably where I started. Um, and then when I left Disney, it was a six month internship. When I left Disney, I came back and I, I was like, you know what? I need to figure my stuff out. So that's when I went to the Bible school. I went to Master's Commission and uh, West Coast Bible College and Seminary, which if you Google Master's Commission, one of the first things that pops up is Master's Commission cult, <laughs> question mark. Um, oh. Technically, I think it's a cult. But again, I had a really good experience <laughs> there. So I can't, like I find it difficult to crap on this on these things yeah. that I I'm deconstructing them not because they were bad, but because I've always been really good at pulling the positives right. and the negatives out of something and separating the two. Well, the problem, and we'll probably address this much later in the next episode, but the problem is not necessarily the institute itself, which that is a big problem. It's when those institutes don't apologize or try to fix the wrongs. Yeah, it's when they commit atrocities and they do nothing about it. Right. Um, or they just kind of brush it under the rug. Like, yeah. Theoretically, Master's Commission should have been a really good thing for everyone that went, but even people that were there while I was there just did not have a good time, mm. and there's nothing I can do about that for them outside of you know just deconstructing it and hoping that at some point they reach out and say, hey, you want to hang out? And then I can be like, oh, yeah, let's hang out, and then I can be a positive influence. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of like my thing. My, like I said, I got my degree in uh, general theology, and there is nothing I can do with that degree. <laughs> um, I am technically an ordained minister, <laughs> and I have yeah. I have done nothing with it since. Um, I left Master's Commission, and because I was there, Master's Commission actually had a pretty cool partnership with my church that I went to afterwards, uh, Faith Point, and pretty much. Anytime a master's commission student was like, hey, I want to work at a church, they were like, cool, you can come intern with us. And it was absolutely an unpaid internship. But I got some church working experience, got to be the the youth director is what I was. So not the pastoral position that you had. I wasn't being paid, but I was doing the same job for a smaller youth group. Yeah. So same experience, I think. And um, not getting paid. And not getting paid, yeah. Uh, my wife and I did that together uh, while we were dating, and then we eventually got married, and we were still doing the same thing at the church up until, basically up until we left. Yeah. Um, we we were on the leadership teams at the church. We were on the new building team at my church because they recently built a new building, and they had all kinds of different positions for that. Um, you know, we, we were the good Christians doing everything that we were supposed to do according to the path of the church right up until we left. And leaving the church wasn't necessarily to do with the deconstruction that I was going through, but it helped my deconstruction. And my deconstruction helped me to be able to leave the church because mm. when you're raised that way, church is all you know. Church, yeah. church is life. Those are all your relationships, all your friends, all your family. Everybody's there. And leaving can be a really scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. But luckily for myself and for my wife, who's also going through deconstruction at the time, it kind of gave us like, 
look, if this isn't what the church is going to be, we need to find a different way to follow Jesus. Yeah. Because when we left, it was absolutely not, we're running away from God. Mm -hmm. We were running towards God and we felt that our church was on a different path. Mm. May still be a path towards God. I'm not crapping on that particular church either. Just not the path that we think we need to follow to find God, to find God. Uh, So I can't really pinpoint a one instance that started it all. Uh, But like I said, I started questioning everything while I was at college and Disney and at Master's Commission. And Master's, although is technically a cult, uh, (laughs) really taught me how to read into my beliefs to kind of figure out why I believe what I believe, like you were saying, um, how I know what I know, how to research, how to read the Bible, how to dissect different translations and kind of compare and contrast to find what Jesus really meant when he said X. Yeah. Um, I remember during the 2008 election, my parents were always very conservative people. They were voting Republican down the ballot regardless of what you said because being a Christian means you're a Republican in America. Yeah. That's it. God's that, party. Exactly. Um, so 2008 election, I kind of had some different views that were lining up a little to the left there, and I kind of kept that to myself. <laughs> Because you do that. Yeah. Um, 2012 election, same thing. I kept it to myself. Um, I think I voted third party in the 2008 election. Radical, man. Which, yeah. If, <laughs> if you're voting third party as a Christian, like. Yeah. Boom. I know. Um, I know I definitely voted third party in the 2016 election. Because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, doesn't matter. So that's when I started questioning a lot of my beliefs. Um, it really started to drive the point home, though. Like, deconstruction kicked into second gear for me during the Colin Kaepernick thing when he was kneeling and everybody was, like, super mad at him. Uh, my dad is a veteran. And I asked him, you know, what do you think about this? And my dad and my father-in-law, both veterans, both had the same viewpoint. I fought for his right to do that. Mm. Whether I agree or not is irrelevant. He has a right to do that. Yeah. And then I asked, well, do you agree? And my dad was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> my dad's black, so yeah. he understands the struggle. He understood right. the assignment. Um, so it was, I remember thinking, like, why are these people who are supposed to be showing the undying love of Jesus Christ being so hateful? Yeah. Like, I understand if you're like, well, I don't think Colin Kaepernick should kneel during the the national anthem. I don't think that's right. Sure. We'll debate that all day long. But when you're like, he deserves to die. I'm like, all right, well, let's take it back there, Notch Hitler. Um, this is not the undying love of Jesus Christ. Uh, so that really started for me. Like, racism started showing his head in people that, I mean, at the very least tolerated me. Like, I'm very white passing, so a lot of times just nobody said anything about it. But I could start to see, like, hold on. Why are you so angry at these people over here who share my heritage? Mm -hmm. So what you're saying when you say you don't like them is that you don't like me. But all my life I've been told, oh, you're one of the good ones. And after a while, that stopped clicking as well. So it's like, well, what what does that mean? Like, what does being one of the good ones mean? I'm just your good little puppet boy dancing, doing whatever you want. 
Uh, so that was rough. Um, LGBTQIA plus rights was another issue for me. Um, cause I used to be one of those people that was like, oh, separate, but equal. Like, yeah, they shouldn't get married, don't but they should tell. have their own thing. Like they, they deserve all of the, the benefits, but marriage is, I used to think marriage was a specifically religious thing and you can't be married and crap on religion. Yeah. Um, so I, I used to be one of those separate, but equal people, um, you know, do whatever you want, but stay away from me. Don't hit on me, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and let, let me let me take a second to say that if you're listening to this and I hurt you in any way, I am truly sorry. I know a lot of the things that I used to believe and used to fight for and used to argue about are not conducive to a loving environment. And I am truly sorry. I saw the things that I said. I look back on them and it hurts me to know that I hurt those people. So after spending time with a few people who were out, um, I gained new perspective after having gay friends, gay roommates, gay whatever, um, meeting some trans people, actually getting to know people, like Tim said, stories. Stories are the driving point, I think, for 90% of deconstruction. Yeah. Um, whether it's your own personal story or someone else's story that you resonate with hearing those people's stories is what really kicked it into like third and fourth gear. Um, the biggest push for me though, into my own personal deconstruction was TikTok. <laughs> so like I said, I, I had been deconstructing and my wife and I have a very open relationship uh, when it comes to speaking about things. Even this topic though was a little scary for me to approach. Um, I did tell my wife, once I had a little more solid footing in the deconstruction world where I was at, and she was also like at the same point, which I can only thank God for because there's no way I would have been able to do it without her. Um, but when I signed up for TikTok, I didn't really have people to talk to outside of her. Uh, Tim and I weren't talking about this at that time. and I think we were just both scared of. Yeah, we were both just kind of like, oh, you know, what's, what's Tim going to say? Are we still yeah, going to be friends yeah. after this? <laughs> We've been through so much, I can't end it now. Right, right. Um, oh, jeez. Dude, the biggest thing about deconstruction, though, is how lonely it can be. Ish. And being on TikTok, I found, like Tim said, that algorithm really pushes you into communities about based on videos that you like and things. Um, I found a lot of people on TikTok that were going through the same stuff I was that had very similar stories, very moving stories. Yeah. And I was just blown away by the different viewpoints that some of these people had, by some of the things that they were saying, that they were doing, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And TikTok really showed up for me. That's where I learned most of my deconstruction stuff um, after obviously already having the base of how to deconstruct and how to study yeah. what the Bible actually says. So now I'm here um, to give you all bullet points on my deconstruction journey, where I'm standing now. Uh, personally, and I don't want to speak for Tim. I don't know if this part's going to get edited out, but no, it, no, it I, I was going to save most of mine for the individual episodes, but oh yeah, we'll do that too. Uh, we'll just bullet points then. Um, don't believe in eternal conscious hell. Don't believe that being gay or trans is a sin. 
I believe in LGBTQIA plus equality. I believe Black Lives Matter. I believe Jesus was black. Yeah. <laughs> I believe in male and female equality. I believe that Americana is the absolute worst thing to happen to Christianity since the Crusades. Um, I believe that the church is so unrecognizable to God that if the disciples could see it today, they would write a new New Testament to fix our problems the way they did for the last one. Um, and I believe a lot of other things. I don't believe a lot of other things that I was raised to believe. So come sit with us. Join the ride. Yeah. yeah. It'll to, be fun. To, to back what Chris said, I didn't want to interrupt during all that, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry too. I've, I've luckily I've, I've been able to have conversations with people that I care about and that have luckily shown us grace and love and being able to apologize directly to them. But for those I haven't been able to, man, I'm, I think Chris can attest to this. When you're in leadership like that, you, you have this authority and this authority not only gives you a feeling of power, but it gives you a sense that, what you say will mean something to someone else and it could change how they think about something and change. Even if it's somebody that's not technically under your authority. Right. And it will, and, and especially when it was with the, the, the congregations that we did with just youth group, they, they hung on our words and, and, the, and I, I get, they're not students anymore, but I get ex students come up to me all the time and are texting me, messaging me, just asking, Hey, what's up? And, we, we had an impact on their lives. And so there's so many, a lot of this pain has been from realizing that there were so many horrible, <laughs> shitty things that I, I've said to people and not knowingly, but just things that would hurt people because they hurt me now. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. We're we're on this journey, and um, for those of you guys who are still in this, we're still listening. We uh, we're we're still unpacking a lot of things, and this we're we're about to take a break. But um, we wanna we wanna man, share our love first and foremost. I think we we are, you know, I, I've had to, and Chris, if you don't want me to include this in the podcast, just let me know. But I've I've had to publicly or privately apologize to Chris for a lot of this stuff that. I was like Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter stuff that I thought was unbiblical or untruthful, and I was such a crappy friend because I didn't believe those things because I thought the Bible or my pastor believed otherwise. And um, man, now personally, I've moved on because I understand it. It wasn't you as a person; it was these things that were drilled into you. Yeah. So I hold no ill will. And I hope that the people that are listening to this would feel the same for me, at least, that it hurt at the time, but it was part of your character development. Yeah. And it was necessary for you. And we're here now. That's what matters. Yeah, sure enough. All right, guys. We have a few more things to say. Um some some thoughts and things to wrap this episode up thoughts with and prayers. thoughts and oh my gosh so we're gonna go on a break on that note we're gonna go on a break and we will be right back guys
All right, guys. We're back. Thank you for sticking around if you have. Yeah. Um, if you haven't, we understand. <laughs> um, man, this is, again, there, there's so many things that I, I, I keep wanting to say. I know this pod, this, this episode's already going really long. Um, and I'll kind of get to this later in the episode, but um, we, we have a lot more that we want to share and express and apologize for and, and a whole bunch of other things. But we got to move on because uh, this is only... This is only episode, episode one. one. Yeah. Um, so we're, we decided to, because I knew this was going to be happening, and maybe this is the argumentative part of me, but I wanted to bring up some arguments and thoughts that I know I would have been sharing 10 years ago regarding things I would hear in this episode. Yeah, and some th- of the things that you guys may say to us or about us after listening to us. Or, or for that matter, anyone else in this deconstruction journey and again this is not to debate you the listener this is to just let you know number one we've heard this we've preached it we talked it but number two we there's other people like us that probably know these things and who don't need to hear these things right (laughs) um so first one if only he didn't start doing x y and z he'd still be a b or c uh, this is what I like to call the slippery slope argument. Yeah. Um, it, it, what's interesting about this line of thought is that everyone seems to have a different starting point. You ever notice that? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Like, for me, it's, oh, if only he didn't go to that liberal college. Right. Bro, I went to college in Texas. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see, for some, going too far is listening to Hillsong. Guys, I've been to Hillsong United concerts where there are Christians out there protesting because it is too, like, they, they worship the devil. Like, that's what they say. Because they said hell in that one song. Or, yeah. I mean, what? That, it was even before that song even came out. Yeah. And so my, my point, and, and it's like, or getting tattoos for, for others going to a liberal college or reading books from leftist pastors like Stephen Furtick. And just, How dare you bring <laughs> up that man? <laughs> And here's where the logic just falls on its face. Is If this was foolproof, if, if, if this was true, that every time you did one of these XYZ things, then every single time you do one of those things, then everyone should fall to it. But they don't. Are you, are you telling me that every single Christian that listens to secular music is going to fall by the wayside? And, and, and Some people say that, yes. See, and see, that, that's my point. Is it's that you, damn rap music. <laughs> It it doesn't it doesn't really work, okay. And next 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 argument next thought we can hear is this one is my favorite because I've literally been told this by my own mother. You just want an excuse to sin. The whole point of sin is that I don't need an excuse to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's just I, I don't even know where to start with this one. <laughs> that's. Yeah, we, bro, we, that, that's not it. That's just not it's it. It's not it. Like, look, granted, there are some young individuals who want to do things. I understand that. I understand that. They want to do sinful things. Yeah. Sure. But those who are on this side of, like, you are fully knowledgeable of deconstruction, you're not choosing to go down this path because you want to do whatever sin that you think of. It's not that. My favorite thing <laughs> is, like, you know, it works on the other side of deconstruction, too. Right? What do you mean? Oh, when people are like, hey, does anybody have any prayer requests? Oh, I just want to lift up this person in prayer. <laughs> like, you just want an excuse to gossip about them. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. according to your Bible, 
is a sin. Yeah. Next one. Um, this is a good one, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> They're not really saved, or they never were saved. I hear this one specifically about my dad. Oh, God. From, again, from my mom, from a lot of other people. And this isn't a podcast to crap on my mom, so I'm going to stop. But this is where a lot of my opposition to my deconstruction is coming from. Because like I said, I was very close with my parents. I talked to them about everything up until recently. And that's been a really big wedge in our relationship is this deconstruction. Yeah. Because obviously I'm on one side of it and my mom is on the other. Uh, But the not really saved thing, like who are you to say whether somebody actually is saved or not, whether they believe in Jesus or not, whether they really meant it when they said the sinner's prayer or not, or whatever they did to become saved. Like that's, it's a very personal relationship between them and Jesus. And And it has nothing to do with you. Right. And that's like a whole like thing that we preach and that we, we have like a, this theology about is like, once you say that sinner's prayer, you are saved. It's something that I remember a mom asking me one time, she, she took me aside and asked, you know, my son is not doing very well and he's, he's like doing this and this. And, um, but he said this prayer, do you think he's still going to heaven? I'm like, uh, well, uh, I think it's up to God mostly, but yeah, I, I, I sure you know it's it's one of those things too where it's like okay, but if you believe that theology that once you say it you're good, then how how can you go back on that then? You're you're, you're just don't like what someone else is saying. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- this this line of thought, if this were true for us, man, we were pretty convincing then. I'd convince myself <laughs> enough to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to Bible college, <laughs> join a cult. Uh, all right, this is our last one because this one is is it's it's almost like the slippery slope. But um, he caved into the world. Yeah. Um. Okay. So if, if this if this were a, a legitimate logical argument, any time a Christian got on the internet, we we all be atheists by now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, because that's the argument, right? If you do something worldly, especially on a constant basis, then you're going to lose your Christianity. Yep. You're you're going to you're going to falter into what the world does. So internet, sorry. TV, sorry. And by Drive the way, a car. Right. Use electricity. And, and mind you, might as well be Amish. And and mind you, these are arguments that Christians have said about these things. There were people when the internet really came into existence that argued the internet would be the downfall that Christians would what it it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't make sense. If it's new, it's going to be criticized by right, the church. Right, right, Um I don't know. You say what about this? That, that's all there is, really. That's it. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, that's all. You, that's really all you can say. Because I mean, like, even like slavery was supported by the church. So Jesus. abolition was like, well, if we're not allowed to own slaves anymore, how are we going to be Christians? Like, are, are you kidding? <laughs> Seriously, like. That's the argument you're going to go, you know, moving on. <sighs> Before we conclude today, um, we just want to remind you guys of something. People that are deconstructing are not your enemies. They are not pursuing division or hate, most of them anyway. Uh, chances are they're hurting. Yeah, They are on a very personal journey. If they speak out loud about it, they're not attacking you. They're saying where they are. Or they're uh, trying to defend others. Yeah. A lot of them wish that they didn't have to take the red pill. Yeah. That they hadn't discovered what was around the corner, but now that they know, there's no going back. Yeah. 
that's where we are. Yeah, that's that's it, dude. There, there, there is, and I'll kind of talk about that in a future episode. But there was an uh oh moment for me where I was just like, "Well, I ain't going back now." <laughs> I guess I'm deconstructed. <laughs> this will be fun. Um, okay, so we're, we're concluding this episode, um, and we want to talk about where we're going from here. So at the moment, we have six other episodes planned for this series: the church, the Bible, American slash Christian nationalism race, LGBTQ plus uh, purity culture, and science and culture. Um, so I want to encourage you all, as I did at the beginning of this episode, to stick it out, especially if you find yourself on the converse, uh, conservative evangelical side of the spectrum. If you started listening to this pod to hear us and to you know hear our stories, then we ask that you hear us out. And if not, um, you said six other episodes, so you can skip six episodes <laughs> That's into the true. future. Um, just stop listening to us for a few weeks and then come on back. Yeah, and again, the reason why we're doing this series, it's not to convince you, the listener, of anything. A large part of it is just because I've, Chris can definitely tell you this, I just need to get this off my chest. This is how Tim works through things. <laughs> um, he'll write them out, and then he'll talk about them to one or more than one people. And... It helps him get all of his thoughts in order. So yeah, this, this is actually just for Tim. <laughs> like I've already done all of this. I don't care. I'll tell you guys my story. I don't care. This is all for Tim. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, okay, so before we conclude today, we have some resources and recommendations for you guys. Uh, this so is for different those... from our rec and rev, this is our rest and rev. <laughs> for those of you who are interested in reading, listening, or checking out some of the books, podcasts, and people who have inspired us in this journey, we'll be adding a special list to our show notes with links to make sure everything is super simple for you to check out. And mind you, one of the best things I've learned in my deconstruction is that I don't have to 100% believe in what someone says to agree with them. Uh, or their principles. Right. So there's going to be people on this list that we may go like, you know what? I don't a thousand percent agree with this person, but they have a lot of good points or mm -hmm. they maybe helped us in our deconstruction journey. They're, like I mentioned earlier, the liturgist, those guys, that's all I listened to for like a solid year and a half. I haven't listened to their podcast in like two years. It's just, it's just, it's just growth. It comes and goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to have a special shout out uh, to Phil Drysdale, who I recently actually just discovered, uh, who not only has a podcast for those who are deconstructed, but actually does social research on the matter and provides a network for those to connect with one another. The national uh, the um, uh, deconstruction network that we talked about earlier. The website is thedeconstructionnetwork.com. Boom. And some notable mentions for myself that are in the list, but again, it's all in the list. Uh, Phil Drysdale, Peter Enns, Jared Bias, and Kevin Garcia. Chris, you had a few? Yeah, uh, so some of the ones that I've been listening to, like like I said, mostly on TikTok. Um, you can follow April Joy and uh, Pastor Paul. Both of them are on TikTok individually, but they run the Evangelical-ish podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that one's been really cool. Um Pastor Abby Smith, she is a LGBTQ pastor. Um, she's a queer woman that is also a pastor, um, and she's had some really cool insights. Um, and then Semler, one of my favorite artists Ooh, from yeah. uh, Spotify, Semler, her and her wife, uh, they do a podcast called Under Our Roof. I've talked about that before, just talking about living the gay old life. Um, but one of the things that they talk about pretty often is being gay and Christian. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool thing. But you get to see different perspectives that way. And yeah. 
I like it a lot. Now, mind you, um, I don't know if Chris, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm going to be updating that list every episode to include different leaders and different books and things that are kind of more tailored to the uh, episode. So in future episodes, I'm going to present books like Jesus and John Wayne. And these are the things that oh, I yeah. highly cool. recommend. But uh, so in case you kind of look at it and go, Hey, I, I, I feel like you're missing something or like you might actually see repeats. That's why. Yeah. Um, last thing to mention before we start cutting out is our Spotify playlist. Yes. So, Like you said, we have a Spotify playlist, um, the Deconstruction Series playlist. You can find it under our our Spotify link, I guess. Yeah. Um, We're going to be – we put it together already, but we'll be adding songs as time goes on. It's literally just music that we like for our deconstruction journey. It's not anything that says you have to listen to these songs to deconstruct. Right, right. Um, It's mostly just music, spoken word, poetry, different kinds of things that – give us cool perspectives from other artists. That's all it is. Yeah. Good word. Um, all right. So we want to conclude this episode with a segment titled, There is Always More Than This. I have that tattooed on my arm, if you can see on our YouTube. You can see it right there. It's in uh, Arabesh, which if I don't feel like nerding out, I will tell people it's the first known written language to man. It's the oldest written language. <laughs> Um, but if I do feel like nerding out, I'll tell you, it's actually the written language from Star Wars. Yes. Which happened a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. So technically it is the oldest written language known to man. Yep. Very true. We wanted to end this on a positive note. While a lot of our deconstruction has been hard, riddled with broken friendships and skeptical family members, we do want to say that at least for me anyways, uh, I'm so glad that I'm on this side of things. Um, it's been hard, and I'm not sure. And I'm sure that now that I'm becoming more public with these views, it'll become more intense. But where Jess and I are at spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we are far, far better off than we've ever been. And, um, and we want to give any of you that hope as well. Maybe you've already begun to seriously ask some of the questions, and you can't imagine opening up to someone about it. We understand and we see you. Um, let it be known to you that there is always more than this moment. There is always more than what you've known. And there is always more to who you are. Chris, any final words? Um, I think that's, uh, you hit it pretty well on the head. I mean, I would just suspect that the up there mentality is the way that most people's spiritual search has to start. Uh, So once the real inner joy begins, once you come to know that in Christ, God is forever overcoming the gap between human and divine, Christian path becomes less about climbing and performance and more about descending, letting go, and unlearning. And I know it sounds like I I wrote that, but I didn't. That was actually Richard (laughs) Rowe. Guys, that is our episode for... our first episode for the deconstruction series so thank you all for listening thank you all for um, being a part of this please send us out your questions your thoughts your comments and uh, next week next week next week because we're doing this as a weekly series guys weekly we will have part two of our deconstruction series the church so make sure you follow us so we can get those uh, notifications to you when we put out new episodes yeah all right guys we love you all see y'all next time bye bye
thank you for listening to this episode of the Deconstruction Series on the Always More Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, comment, and share this wherever you listen to us. Be sure to check out our resources and recommendations in the show notes for both this episode and episodes to come. And lastly, don't forget to listen into our Deconstruction playlist on Spotify that can also be found in our show notes. Thank you, and see you next time.